Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, the BCI Radio, uh, AJ Black. I'm here, as always, with my co-host, Eric Hostis. Eric, you there? What's up, AJ? Not too much. It's a good day. It's uh, going to cool off finally tomorrow, so hopefully that'll uh, cool off my house. My current upstairs uh, living room is about a nice saunter- saltery uh, 84 degrees, so that's terrible. Um, That's not bad. I would have figured it was more like 95. Uh, we got the air conditioner in our bedroom kind of getting that room. so okay. um, Nothing a little beer won't help, though, right? <laughs> you got it. So we're here for two reasons. We're going to, um, you know, during the football season, we're here to review uh, the game that happened, kind of talk a little bit about what happened, the uh, highs and lows of the football game, um, any um, big things that happened that, you know, Eagles fans are going to want to know about, and to preview um, the upcoming game. So this week we have uh, we're going to review the UMass game and look ahead to Holy Cross. So let's start off with uh, our review. Um, BC played UMass at home on Saturday. Um, after weeks of listening to UMass fans chirp about how they were going to beat BC, um, they got their ass handed to them. Um, they were down 48-7 to seven at halftime. Um, it got out of hand really quick. I mean, BC, at, to start the game off, you know, really had a, um, like, a soul-crushing quick drive where UMass had no answer. Um, and then UMass responded um, on the next drive with a touchdown. And they seemed to have – they seemed to were, uh, were able to counter – uh, A.J. Dillon, who had um, really put them uh, to the stake in the first drive by um, really honing in on him. And then B.C. just was like, you know what, screw that. We're going to throw the ball if you're going to sit on him all game. And Anthony Brown and Kobe White and the tight ends just thrashed UMass for that second quarter. And after that, it was all over. So my question for you, Eric, uh, after game one, what really stood out about the Eagles for you? Well, I think the biggest thing is just the way they thrashed UMass. I mean, since this series has kind of been going on, BC's obviously always been the better team, even even years when BC hasn't been very good. And there's been years when BC has been a bowl team, and they've still kind of, you know, limped their way through the game. Um, I mean, the game two years ago comes to mind. Uh, that, that was a That was a year BC made a bowl, and, um, I want to say the final score was like 25 to seven or 26 to seven, and um, it, it kind of was one of those games where in the third quarter you kind of thought BC was going to win, but you still really weren't sure. And uh, that wasn't the case this Saturday. I mean, you could have watched maybe a drive or two from each team and been like, "Yeah, BC is going to absolutely bury these guys," um, and that's exactly what they did. And uh, it felt nice uh, that they did that. And um, you know, one thing I, I looked up is uh, Dazio has been really good um, about not blowing 
games against lesser competition. You know, I think when Tom O'Brien was here, kind of one of his things is like they'd always kind of lose a game that like they really shouldn't have, and that hasn't been the case too too often with the Dazio. Uh, you know, I, I, I categorize it as games when BC is favored by double digits or more. So they're they're a pretty heavy under pretty heavy favorite, excuse me. And in games when they're a double digit favorite, Adazio's a perfect fifteen and zero with his record. Uh, they've won every single time they've been a double digit favorite. So that tells me, you know, in, the, in, the, in these games, he gets the team prepared, he takes care of business, and uh, that, that's that's a nice thing. You got to tip your hat with that. Um, I'm curious on on your perspective of the game. Um, I know I know sometimes it's tough to take stuff away in blowouts like this, but is there, is there a certain part? of the game or certain side of the ball where you were kind of uh, maybe overly encouraged by what you saw, you know, anything that surprised you in a positive way? Yeah. There, I mean, I'm going to go over um, – I had a, a real big positive on both sides of the ball. I'll start on the defense. I was really impressed by the play of the linebackers. Um, they're, they're a deep group right now. You know, Max Richardson was going to be a question mark coming into this game. I thought he had an excellent game. Connor Strahan looks like he, he's back to where he left off before his injury. Um, and that's a huge, huge deal for that defense, you know, to give someone in that second layer of defense that can really make a play. Um, I thought he had a tremendous game. He led the team in tackles to get eight, six solo tackles. Um, so that linebacker group, I was really impressed with their play um, on the offensive side of the ball. I, I wrote about it on BCI on our, uh, in our banter it was the play of the tight ends and the depth of the tight ends really, floored me. Ray Martin had three catches uh, for about 50 yards and he had a touchdown. Um, I, I was blown away. I know he's only a redshirt freshman, but Hunter Long looks like he could be a legit um, replacement for Tommy Sweeney, but um, you know, as that tight end that can catch the ball, but he's going to be, he'll be playing this year. And what I really liked about the play of the tight end itself is that Daz has been talking about how he's going to be playing double tight ends on a lot of his, um, you know, a lot of the plays that is just going to, that hopefully this will give Leffler and him some, some wrinkles and different um, looks that they can give defenses that they are not going to be able to just sit on AJ Dillon, because if they do, Anthony Brown's going to thrash them. Um, So I was really kind of excited about that because I didn't, you know, I read a little bit. I know Dan Rubin wrote about the tight ends this, um, this summer, about the depth, you know, but a lot of that, I feel like it's coach speak. He, he, you know, he writes for the team. That's kind of what they do, but to actually see them live, it would seem like, you know, what Frank Leonard, the tight ends coach had said about how they were at the deepest group he's worked with in a while, you know, they were, they impressed me. And I think that's going to be a big deal and it's going to open holes for Dylan when they hit ACC play. I lost Eric. So Eric, you back. Hi. All right. So we're back. Um, I think we, did you hear any of what I was just saying? <laughs> yeah. And I, uh, I agree with it. Uh, everything you said basically. And uh, I guess at the end of the day, coach Leonard was not BSing. That was a uh, real talk by him. Yeah. And um, you know, I, I get excited too, because you know, moving forward, there's a lot of, there's a good mix of veteran leadership in that position with Sweeney and, you know, they get Chris Garrison and Adrizzi who are all, you know, upperclassmen at this point, but then they get, you know, a guy like Long in there um, who can be a, a guy that we can look forward to seeing in the future. I think that's a, a positive sign. 
So yeah, definitely. Um, one of the questions I think uh, so. In between what we're talking about, I'm going to throw in a little bit about um, the. I reached out on Twitter uh, to our fan base. Uh, we've really got a good um, following starting our first week, so I asked for questions. And one of the big questions, since we're talking about the team, and last week was uh, someone wanted to know about John Baker. Um, so I'll give you a little bit of heads up. Daz at the after the game didn't say much about Baker. He. Um, you know, said that he can't talk about it. I guess there's more more regulations around uh, injury disclosure in the uh, NCAA now. Um, so they couldn't really get into that. But what I did notice was the depth chart was released this week. John Baker was on it. My hope, though, is that if really he's anywhere less than 100% that Daz just sits him and plays Lynch, Alec Lindstrom this week because it's not worth on a short week risking anything with him. Let him rest it up. Get him ready for Thursday for uh, Wake Forest. Agree, Eric? I don't. Eric? I don't think there's any reason for. I don't think there's any reason for him to be in this game this weekend. Um, you know, he got some snaps under his belt last weekend, and uh, he's a veteran. He, this game against Holy Cross isn't really going to do anything for him. And if anything, give the younger guy a, a chance to play with the ones out there. So. I definitely keep him out this weekend, no doubt about it. Yeah. So, look, uh, as we wrap up our UMass talk, Eric, was there anything that you saw that was concerning to you? Anything that you noticed about the team? Was there any, um, you know, position that was worrisome or well, any play that you I don't, was like, oh God, what's going on there? I don't. I don't think anything about um, the uh, the team really was. Uh, Negative. Uh, I, I, you know, at early in the first half, uh, I was a little disappointed by the secondary, how UMass was able to uh, connect through the air a little bit, you know, you know, the BC and that, that may be just uh, related to off season hype. I mean, this BC secondary got a ton of hype in the off season, you know, being called the no fly zone and all that nonsense. I don't, I don't think this is like a top five secondary in the country or something like that. So, I think, if anything, uh, it helped people reset their expectations with the secondary a little bit. They're they're very good, but they're nowhere near like the best secondary in the ACC or anything like that. Which you know, I think some people were kind of hyping them up to be that. Um, I, the other interesting takeaway for me was all the AJ Dillon talk, and uh, I know you got some people on Twitter asking you like, why wasn't he given the ball more? Um, and I, I think that was related mostly to his Heisman campaign. People were a little concerned he didn't put up video game numbers against UMass, but um, I, if people saw our uh, banter article this week, uh, I dug up some interesting stats about uh, the last two running backs to win the Heisman, which were the two Bama backs, Derek Henry and Mark Ingram. And I said, you know what? The, the, fir- the first step for A.J. Dillon is BC's got to win the ACC. I mean, they, they, he, if BC wins nine or eight games or something, he ain't winning the Heisman unless he gets 3,000 yards or something. So, that's the most important thing. And secondly is him putting up big stats and big games, you know, an upset against Clemson on national television where he runs for 250, uh, upset against Miami, Virginia Tech, stuff like that. I, I mean, running up 200 against UMass is not really going to move the meter much at all for him. Um, and, and to that point, I did look up some September performances by Henry and Ingram the years they won the Heisman. And, they each had games where they ran for under 100 yards in September. 
um, against inferior opponents. So uh, people freaking out about Dylan not running for a ton of yards against UMass. I mean, I, I think people just got to chill out a little bit. Um, you know, he's going to get his yards, and it's going to be important for him to do it in the big games and for BC to get upsets along the way. Piling up against UMass is, is probably the – you know, piling up against the inferior opponents is probably the third most important thing on the list for me. Yeah, I totally agree with you there. And I think what fans need to really understand, too, is A.J. Dillon got dinged up last year. There's a couple games where he had to leave due to injury. We don't need to risk Dillon getting hurt so he can get some garbage-time touchdowns or vulture touchdowns at, like, the one-yard line. If you've got a guy like Devon Jones in a game like that where it really doesn't matter to pick those up. Because, it, you know, what's you get, you get to look at the bigger picture. Is the goal this year to make this team win more? Because you have a running back, and it clearly looks like the offense is ready to win. Or are you just doing this to have, like, a Heisman candidacy? I mean, awards are fun and all, but I honestly would rather see BC playing at the best potential that they can and not risking dumb injuries so they can get, you know, Madden touchdowns. Yeah, exactly. You know I mean? exactly. I mean, with his – with his running style too, I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibility that guy can get could get a concussion running in a garbage touchdown from the one yard line, and I, I don't think they need to risk losing him for the Wake Forest game, which, uh, by the way, is uh, well, we're recording Thursday. on a Thursday. It's a week. It's a week away, um, and it, you know that would have given him about a week and a half to recover from that. So yeah, I, I think I. I think BC actually actually handled that right. I, I support uh, Dad Adio's decision there. Boy, it feels weird saying that a lot uh, so far this year. <laughs> well, one last one last piece I think we we should really talk about before um, we move on to Holy Cross was the the passing game. There's a, a bunch of different pieces of that passing game that I feel like needs to be discussed. First of all, Anthony Brown I thought looked as good, if not better, than he did at any point last year. Um, maybe with the exception of the Virginia game, but I still think, I mean, he was hitting his spots. He looked comfortable back there. And I think that's nothing but a positive for BC. The second thing was Kobe White had some fantastic catches and really, again, you know, started to assert himself as one of those, you know, playmaking wide receivers that BC had. It was his first 100-yard touchdown game. He had two touchdown catches. Um, I think he was real. He really showed what he's going to be capable of doing. And with a quarterback like Brown, I think he had a connection with Brown last year that kind of faded away when Wade took over after Brown's injury. Um, I thought, you know, White looked really good. And the last piece, and I'll let you jump in on whatever piece you want to, um, back to A.J. Dillon, um, having him as the, you know, a a potential target looked huge. I mean, there was, um, I think it was the first quarter, you know, Anthony Brown went for a play action pass, bootlegged it. And A.J. Dillon was not even covered. He was wide open and then just walked into the end zone. And he had that same play available uh, in the second quarter but dropped it, um, which was a tough pass. But, you know, B.C. scored anyway, so it didn't really matter. But to see that he has now got that extra wrinkle to his game plan, his, you know, his abilities is scary for defenses because they, you know, Leffler is now going to have all these different matchups now that allowing, you know, Dylan to catch the pass is going to give, you know, Tommy Sweeney's going to have, prefer, uh, you know, better better matchups. White's going to have better matchups. You're going to see all sorts of things opening up. Um, so, you know, Dylan, I think, being a, a pass catcher 
um, is really going to uh, take this offense to a next level. What did you think about passing? Any of those topics you want to comment on? Eric, you there? Yep, I think we lost Eric. All right, so anyways, I will jump ahead. Uh, hopefully he'll come back on. Um, Sorry about so, that, Adam. All the, yep. all the conference call thing uh, being on mute. Um, but, no, I, di- I didn't have much to add. I, I agree with everything you said, and uh, I'm excited. excited to see if he has that same uh, level of success against um, – some better competition and also seeing if the better competition plays them a little differently. Uh, UMass obviously was going with the uh, idea of, Hey, let's see if he can beat us catching the ball. Cause he has no track record of doing that from last year. And he did, and he made them pay. So let, let's see how the, the other opponents uh, handle that going forward. All right, moving on. We're, we're, we spent a good 20 minutes talking about UMass uh, next game coming up is on Saturday against Holy Cross. It's a historic rival for the Eagles, a team that BC has played over 80 times. We've played 82 times, and we have not played in over 30 years, our last game being in 1986 when Holy Cross joined the Patriot League. They're back now. They're a team that can play BC and uh, are an FCS squad. Last year, they uh, battled UConn. Um, who is a dumpster fire of a program, but I'll take any chance I can to, to rip shots at them. Um, but Holy Cross, uh, they've had some uh, success. They lost to Colgate their first week. So, I, I mean, looking up and down their roster, um, I was um, looking at their offensive line. They've got one guy over 300 pounds. Their running back is, I think, 190. Uh, Eric, is this game going to be over by the third drive on Saturday? I'd bet on it. I, uh, you know, Holy Cross is not a very good uh, SDS program. Um, they did get a new head coach um, who, uh, at least locally, is very well respected uh, for the work he did at uh, Assumption. Um, yep. Kind of turned them into a um, kind of one of the best teams um, in the nation uh, at their level, um, which is kind of rare for Assumption. They don't have a huge football history. So, um, you do know if this guy can coach. I just don't think this guy has um, the horses yet to get the job done. He's, uh, you know, not even really had a full recruiting class. So um, I don't, I don't know. Does BC play Holy Cross down the road at all? I'm not really sure. To be they honest, they do. They have but, another matchup. Um, I want to say 2020. I don't have it in front of me, but I think okay. they. they I mean, that might. Team. Yeah, that has the potential to be a, a lot more competitive uh, if this guy does for Holy Cross. Would be the assumption, but. Uh, as for the game this Saturday, um, it, it should be a bloodbath, and I wouldn't expect anything less. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think I think the key going into this game, you know, I want to give Holy Cross a little bit more credit than Howard in 2015, but Holy Cross is going to be walking into a matchup that's going to really push them around, and it's going to be painful quick. You know, I think really looking at this game is not going to be a lot you can take out of it. Just like when UMass beat Duquesne, I, I was saying to the, their fans, I'm like, really, you're going to take that out of, you know, their offense is that powerful out of a game like that? I think as BC fans, we have to really kind of couch what we're thinking about the outcome of this game. I hope, my hope, you know, again, with Wake Forest less than, uh, just over a week away, that BC gets Brown a couple reps, they get Dylan, you know, you know, a couple sets of downs, 
they go right to EJ Perry. They go right to David Bailey um, and Travis Levy and get the, get that bottom of that roster. in. Um, I think it was at EJ button who was talking to me on Twitter today. And was like, I guess Dan Shaughnessy had an article out today saying he doesn't understand uh, why BC and Holy Cross are playing. It's stupid. Um, and I, I hate Shaughnessy. I can't stand his writing. I can't stand his whole troll demeanor. Um, so for any of the fans here that were asking me to, to co- have him comment on this series, it isn't going to happen. I don't make enough. I say to someone else, I don't make enough money to throw away my um, morals to talk to a guy like that for a guy who doesn't give a shit about college sports for 364 days a year. So he was, you know, he's going on and on about how BC and Holy Cross shouldn't play each other. And I, that EJ button said, look, BC gets to play the bottom of their roster and get those kids, um, you know, some valuable reps, which I think is important. And Holy Cross is going to be able to fund part of their athletics with the money that BC spends to blow them out. You know, FCS games are crap. They're not fun to watch, but they're a necessity in college sports as it is right now. Unless the rest of the conferences go with the Big Ten model where they cut those games out, it's not going to change. And I can't see certain schools cutting that out at this point. Um, So, I mean, going into this game, I really just want to see the kids. I want to see what some of these maybe younger offensive linemen, because now dads can play them with the new redshirt rules. They can get some downs. And I think that, that in itself will be kind of fun to watch maybe in the third or fourth quarter. Kids that have been recruited in the last year or two actually getting to play in front of alumni stadium. So, I mean, is there anything else that you can think that we would need to get out of that game? No, really. I mean, it's, just get the younger guys in there and uh, give them an opportunity once once uh, once the game's out of hand. There's there, there's really not much to gain, and uh, hopefully the whale pants are uh, happy with renewing the rivalry. Yeah, I, I mean, there's a great history with the programs. You can Google it. There's some. There's actually a book on BC and Holy Cross. Um, for a younger alumni, it has no meaning at all anymore because. They haven't played in 30 years, and for that, for many of our alumni, that's before they're born. So there isn't much to take out of that game. Um, I'm not going to be there this weekend. I got to go to the game last Saturday. and actually had a great time. It was um, The stadium was pretty decently packed. I mean, the, the end zones uh, the, were kind of dead, but the student section was crazy on Saturday, which is great to see. I, I'm glad to see them getting excited because – and, you know, we're a couple of weeks away from BC playing some real uh, opponents. But I got a feeling alumni is going to be dead on Saturday. Um, I read that um, Holy Cross sold out their 5,000 uh, ticket allotment, so they'll probably be excited for a quarter or two. Um, Eric, uh, one last question came up on Twitter, and we'll talk about this and then maybe wrap things up. Are you worried about the team uh, at, at CJ Geronda? Asked, are you worried about the team having not been truly tested going into a Thursday night matchup with a tough weight defense on the road? Um, yes. Um, I, I, I think, uh, I think it, it's pro and college to turn around on a short week um, and go on the road and play. I mean, you routinely, these NFL teams, play the Thursday night games now every week and you routinely see uh, the road team get upset or lose on these games. I mean, it's, a, it's, a, and it's no different college and it's probably even tougher. Um, it's, 
it's not ideal for sure, but um, at the same time, hey, if this if if this is a team that's going to get uh, to that ceiling we think they have of 10 wins this year, this has got to be one of the wins along the way. It's, and it's not going to be easy by any means, and uh, they're going to have to grind grind that one out. So, yeah, I'm not. I, I'd say I'd say I'm. Uh, just a little bit confident they're going to win that game. I, I think it's going to be a tough game. Anyone who, who thinks they're going to go in there and roll Wake, uh, I, I think they might be. I think they might be surprised. Yeah, um, you know, I think I was saying on um, in our banter, which you can check out on bcinterruption.com, uh, we were talking about overreacting to one week's worth of re, uh, results, and that can be as much as BC versus UMass reacting you know, overreacting to what happened there. But also if you're watching some of the other games, some of the future opponents, I mean, first of all, the big game to watch as a BC fan was Florida state and Virginia tech and Florida state looked like a friggin' mess. Um, their offensive line was a, a disaster. They got rolled by Virginia tech pretty easily. However, it's one game. I mean, with the talent that they have and the talent that they've recruited, you know, Willie Taggart could easily turn that program around in one week and have them looking like a complete different team by October. Um, so I think that was one that I, I, I thought of. Um, and and w- Wake Forest against Tulane this weekend, they they didn't look very impressive either. They barely beat Tulane. But, you know, t- as we saw last year with BC, you can say it with any other team, teams can turn it around. They can find that energy and that turning point, really rally around that. Um, so the, I think we, you know, as a BC fan, we saw a lot of our future opponents playing like garbage. I mean, Syracuse is another one. Syracuse led up 635 yards to Western Michigan. Um, I, their their defense has always been garbage, but I, you know, I think a lot of fans saw that. And, um, sure. that. Eric, was there any takeaway that you saw from an opposing team this weekend that you were like, man, this is either going to hurt BC or really play in their favor? Well. Uh, the wake one was interesting because um, t- I, I don't know why why they're going on the road to play Tulane to start the year. Like uh, that doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. And uh, um, Tulane is kind of a middling middling team in that conference. Uh, um, so you know, Wake probably should have taken care of business a little easier. But that was just a weird. Weird way to open your season on the, on the road like that for Wake. I'm sure there's a story to it, but um, for me, for me, the biggest takeaway, um, like you mentioned, Florida State was a big one uh, with their O line, but for me, it was Miami. Um, um, I, I had mentioned in some articles on BCI last week, um, my, my weekly picks column on Friday, and uh, also our banter one that I thought I thought Miami was one of the most overrated teams in the country. Um, they, they had a great year last year, but so much of that was predicated on them winning the turnover battle every week, which is something that's really hard to duplicate uh, year after year. Um, and they looked like dog crap in that game against LSU. I watched the game, and uh, uh, um, they, you know they kind of they kind of outplayed LSU actually in the first quarter, and then after that they were just a disaster. And LSU was down some guys in the secondary as well. So it was alarming that Miami could not figure out a way how to throw on them. Uh, I think Miami is headed for a seven and five, eight and four kind of season. And uh, any, any dreams for BC fans of a top 10 Miami team coming into alumni stadium in October? Uh, 
I, 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 th- I think at this point, um, I'm kind of, I'm kind of hoping they're still ranked in like the top 15 by then. Uh, looking quick, they have a pretty easy schedule. Uh, Miami's got Savannah State, Toledo, FIU, North Carolina, Florida State, um, at Virginia. They could easily win all those and you know be six and one. So that's good news for BC. Um, but um, I, I, I think I think that game went from like one of the premier games of the year to uh, let's let's hold back. This might be an easier game for BC than than we really think. Yeah, I thought I thought a lot of that too. I was I, I thought Malik Rozier was going to be a much quarter, better quarterback for Miami than he was. Um, so Eric, we got to wrap this. Yeah, up. he was, he was he was terrible. They might have to move on from him. Yeah. Uh, we had one, one last question at Barstool BC wanted to know, are, are alums going to rip the students for leaving early for not showing up or not showing up to this game? Um, probably. <laughs> um, so I, I, you know, I, I mean, I can't, I can't blame them if they find something better to do this, this Saturday. I, I really can't. Yeah. Yeah. So we're out of time. Um, so let's wrap this up with some plugs. Um, I'm AJ Black. You can find me on Twitter at BC Hysteria. Follow me there. You can also uh, follow at BC Interruption. A lot of the times that's me running any sort of um, football content on there, retweets, things like that. You'll see me on there. Um, You can follow um, BC Interruption on Instagram, which is also, I run that. Uh, That's at BC underscore Interruption. Uh, There's a lot of good content that I've been throwing up on there, so check that out. And we're on Facebook, so Again, at BC Interruption. Eric, you can find on Twitter at EJ Hofsis, so E-J-H-O-F-F-S-E-S, um, and you can follow him there. Uh, we have all sorts of great football content up on the site tomorrow. On Friday, you'll get your final thoughts and predictions, um, including a uh, new section in my final thoughts. Baldwin Jr. is not coming back. But, however, uh, one of the fans had recommended to me that I should do a uh, – Dan Shaughnessy uh, imitation section. So he might be popping up hmm. into our final thoughts this week. Um, the, so check out all of, all of my work, all of e, uh, Eric's work there as well. Um, again, thank you for following. Make sure you uh, share, like, and subscribe our blog. I mean, our podcast, if you enjoy it, um, give us a five star. If you like it, it really does help us um, on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have BC friends that like are looking for BC content, share our podcast or share our blog with them. Um, it really does help. And we appreciate all of you, you guys are great. So um, signing off, it's uh, AJ Black. We're going to probably be doing this a little earlier next week because Thursday night is at Wake Forest. Um, and we want to make sure we have this out in time. So thank you guys. Uh, go Eagles. Eric, you have anything last to say? Nope, just follow me on Instagram, Hoffa BBQ. Yeah, Eric's great barbecue. Uh, check that out there at Hoffa BBQ um, for some great um, content on his barbecue business. All right, guys, thank you. Take care. Go Eagles.